Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. What's going on, U-Turn friends? It's Ash here, and I'm so excited to bring someone really special to me on the show. This is actually our first time meeting, but all of you know I talk about my best friend, Nicole, all the time, the therapist in (laughs) California. And other than me, she spends so much of her time with Senem Shamtobi. So Senem is a licensed clinical psychologist. She focuses on the framework of cognitive behavioral therapy. She also talks a lot about family systems, which is really about looking at where your role is in your family. Um, She's licensed in California, so she sees clients there virtually or in person. And she really focuses a lot on anxiety and relationships. So I thought it would be really fun to learn what is cognitive behavioral therapy. I know there's so many different frameworks to just get our take on that. And then also to talk to her about how do we tolerate stress and pain and distress without self-sabotaging? Because I think sometimes when stress is put on us, we turn into like, I don't know, do you remember that fruit snack, the gushers, like we ate when we were kids? I feel like we're like, I love gushers, right? They're so good. (laughs) Whatever happened to those? Um, Sometimes I wonder, I'm like... Is every is everybody who's like five to ten years old still eating this fruit fruit snack, or is it just gone forever? It's like what I, I mean. Like, I'm 34 and I'd still eat them. So yeah, I don't exactly. know what she says about me, but <laughs> <laughs> I had a dunkaroo the other day, so I'm <laughs> it. But um, yeah, and so just like I feel like we turn into these fruit gushers, where it's like we we snap and we squeeze out and we ooze out mm-hmm. when life corners us, and so. When life corners you, how can we help you in this episode, give you some tools to manage yourself, to regulate yourself, to upgrade your narrative that's going on in your head, to have a fight without making a bad issue worse, to navigate the good in your life, but also withstand the pain that good can come with. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, Senem, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here talking with you and also speaking about these topics because I'm deeply passionate about them. And as you were sharing that list, I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. I can't yeah. wait to, to, to dig deeper. Yeah, me too. Um, well, I, yeah. I want to start with like, okay, so we have like all sorts of different bodies of therapy and frameworks. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what is cognitive behavioral therapy? And maybe if you're comfortable just sharing a couple other modalities that you're aware of are very useful for people so they can kind of see if they're thinking about getting a therapist, especially if they're in California and they can work with you, Nick, just being able to help them understand what these frameworks are. Totally. So you'll come across um, a lot of different therapists with different modalities, and a lot of us are not purists. So we're eclectic, meaning that we pull from different orientations Cognitive behavioral therapy for me is a really great framework to begin conceptualizing a client because what its tenants, you know, very basically stand for are how our thoughts and feelings influence our actions in the world. 
And so what I like to learn is what, how is someone thinking? What is their thought pattern that leads to them having the behaviors that maybe brought them into therapy? And just to be clear, a behavior can also be avoidance. It's just how you exist in the world. And a lot of times with cognitive behavioral therapy, people can get this perception of it like it's very manualized. There are a lot of worksheets and homework assignments that can come with these. They're called like third wave behavioral um, therapies. Like if you've heard of ACT, acceptance commitment therapy is one of them that is really skills based. There's also DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is used for distress tolerance, self-soothing coping mechanisms. So all of these are very grounded in like the what you're doing in the world. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have other modalities like psychodynamic, which is a lot more depth, kind of like looking at the symbolism of how you exist in the world. I love psychodynamic therapists because they have a lot of patience to sit and kind of interpret and take you deeper and lower into like how you exist in your different relationships and even in the relationship with yourself. I tend to incorporate parts of that into the work that I do, but I'm very like directive and action oriented. So for me, having the okay, like we figured out a cycle that you're stuck in. Let's get you doing something to make this feel different. Mm-hmm. Not just let's let's get you understanding why you do this. And then maybe the action will change. That can sometimes take a really long time. Yeah. And maybe that just shows like my own impatience with myself. I want to feel change faster. Yeah. Um, But so with, with, within my practice, a lot of myself and my associates, we work from a conceptualizing you from a cognitive behavioral perspective, and then making sure that you're treated as a human being first. Mm -hmm. You're not just a set of symptoms that need to be resolved. You exist as a brother, sister, parent, friend. How did you get the narratives in your mind that shape how you act in the world. All of that feels really important. Mm-hmm. And then we collaborate on treatment plans that you feel comfortable with so that when you're when you're trying to actually manage these symptoms, you feel empowered in doing so. Mm-hmm. I love this. And I feel like when I think of therapy, cognitive behavioral feels very much I don't want to say the most common, but like the most like my default if I'm recommending sure. therapy, it feels like go to a cognitive behavioral therapist. Um, so of those of you who are listening to all these different modalities, I know there's somatic therapy, which is all about feel and touch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different ways to get work. There's different approaches and exercises like EMDR, which is um, an exercise to help your brain integrate information. I'm probably butchering how I describe no, this. No, no, you're not at all. You're not on. I I think that all of those modalities are really powerful. And I recommend to specialists all the time who can do that. I think just from a baseline perspective, why I appreciate CBT so much is, and I almost hesitate to say this, but a lot of times we get clients who are like, I loved my previous therapist, but they just kind of sat there and listened to me for an hour. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of value in that if that's the kind of client that you are and what you're needing. But a lot of people really want something more involved and engaged in their therapy. Yeah. So CBT can provide that. Mm-hmm. And then based on what your needs are, I make, I make re- referrals all the time Yeah, to somatic therapists or EMDR 
for trauma or even like more specialized. Like maybe there are people who do like trauma focused CBT, which I don't do. Mm -hmm. I love this. And I I know that one of the biggest things you're going to focus on when it comes to looking at someone's personal narrative and those of you listening, maybe we can give you some tools now to help you explore what is your personal narrative? What's going on for you? So um, actually that kind of lends itself to the question, Senem, how does someone who's listening now start to get curious and get answers on what's going on up in there? Like what <laughs> is my narrative? Like what am I thinking? I guess the fastest way to get to the root of your thoughts is to look at your results in any area of your life. Look at your relationship. What's what's happening in your relationship? Look at your finances. What's happening there? Okay, what are the thoughts that's causing what's happening? Um, but yeah, can you give me a little bit of info on how someone listening can really put a pen to paper and explore saying, what is my narrative? Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. We all know that a complete night of sleep is essential to optimize our wellness and our general well-being. Cured's Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to guaranteeing that you get that full night of sleep every single night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and full-spectrum cannabinoids. Some people just can't fall asleep. Other people can't stay asleep. And then there's those that fall asleep and stay asleep, but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. No matter what's keeping you from your truest rest and restoration, this sleep bundle is such a solution. Think of it as a one-two punch for a body and brain reset. When it starts to kick in, I notice every inch of my body soften into a deeper state of relaxation as if I'm laying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to the U-Turn community. You can grab Zen and CBN in the sleep bundle for an extra 20% off Cured's already discounted price by heading over to www.curednutrition.com slash U-Turn and using the coupon code U-Turn at checkout. That's www.curednutrition.com, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com slash Y-O-U, T-U-R-N and the coupon code U-TURN at checkout to save an additional 20% off. To improve your life, you need to improve your sleep. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Sure. Well, actually putting a pen to paper is a great, is a great way to do it. So you can actually start with a thought record and I would encourage people listening to to bust open a journal. Not all of us love doing this, but just as an exercise for a couple of days, If you do something that's making you feel really anxious or you're curious about a behavior, write it down, write down the context that it happened in. So like, be like, I was folding my laundry and then all of a sudden I was like thinking about how I embarrassed myself in third grade, something Mm -hmm. like that. Like it's a lot of times our thoughts are really disjointed to what's happening in the moment. And then slow down and say, when I think about what happened to me, in that moment, what do I feel? So I, you say, I feel embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the thought that you tie to embarrassment? Oh, everybody's going to think I'm stupid. Or they must have thought that I was so um, underprepared or that I'm so um, clumsy or whatever it is. That thought usually starts to speak to a narrative about who you think you are. Mm-hmm. So then when you start to see patterns in how feelings lead to certain thoughts, 
then you start to see what your narrative is. Mm. Because given any neutral situation, like you trip on the sidewalk, one person's going to just think, oh, I tripped. And there's no like additional narrative. Another person's going to think, oh my God, anybody who saw me is going to think that was so embarrassing. And like, I, I have to cover my face and run away. Someone else might think, oh, you know, I wonder what my body looked like when I was tripping, you know, all these different filters mm -hmm. that start to point to how we view ourselves in these bigger ways. So the mini feed in our head, if we just start to slow down and break it apart, we can hear at least clues to what our narratives are. Mm -hmm. And then not to get too much into the weeds about it, but a lot of these are called our automatic negative thoughts mm -hmm. and they stem from core beliefs. So if you think about like the, the trunk of a tree, that's your core belief about yourself and all the branches that come off of that are these automatic negative thoughts that happen without your per permission and constantly continuously. It's just like how you're, Oh, he, he likes me. He didn't respond to me. That must mean that he's ghosting me. Or, you know, like, uh, he's chasing me too much. He wants to take me to a nice dinner. This is going too fast. Like, all of that stuff that you're thinking usually will come down to a core belief, which is an I am statement about yourself. So mm -hmm. for the person who notices, like, a trend of, oh, like, this is so embarrassing. I'm so embarrassing. Mm -hmm. If you go deeper and just start asking yourself, why do I think that's so embarrassing? And it can be like, well, because I'm... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm useless. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. Mm -hmm. And that is a core belief that starts to shape the way that you will act in a relationship. It will shape the way that you spend money mm -hmm. because maybe it means you don't spend money on yourself if you don't think you're worth, you're worthy, or you spend a lot of money on yourself because that's how you fill that hole. So I, I always believe in breaking down really small examples where clients will come in and be like, oh, this wasn't a big deal. This feels really silly. Mm -hmm. It's all clues to something deeper that's going on for you. I love that. I almost am tempted to give you, have you facilitate me unlocking a core belief for everyone. Sure. Yeah. Um, what would be a situation that I could give you to help us as an opening into a core belief? It can be literally any situation. And I think that's the beauty of it. There's no pressure. Mm -hmm. If you can think about a time in the last week where like you felt a little anxiety. Yeah. Or you were just curious about why you did something, I can I can walk yeah. you through it. Okay. So you know, everyone here knows I'm always so personal, I guess. Why not? Mm -hmm. um, I got in my first, I don't want to say argument, but like heated conversation with my partner. We've been together four months and yeah, first, first heated conversation definitely gave me anxiety. Do you remember how you were like, when you say anxiety, what does your brand of anxiety feel like? It just feels like heart palpitation, sadness, um, like needing to talk, needing to connect to feel better. Like, yeah. Belief, but like when I have anxiety, mm. what helps me feel better is to talk to someone. And is it, does it need to be to him or it's just anybody? Both. Like I want to talk to someone else to feel better and get some perspective. And then I want to talk to him to smooth it over and move forward. 
Do you need to do that quickly or do you allow yourself time? If he needs time or space, if his style is different, can you manage if he needs to take a minute? Well, so he definitely needs time or space. So you're just like so intuitive asking these questions. <laughs> um, I, because I'm someone who has had much anxiety in the past, now I've really worked on it, but it still exists. Um, I used to think I didn't need a lot of time for things, but what I realized now is that was anxiety. That was me not wanting to wait and sit in the discomfort of something. What I learned about myself is that I do need space to think about things that are very challenging for me. So despite that my body doesn't want to take the space because it feels so uncomfortable, my mind benefits from it. So I did actually take a couple of days of space and that's what made my tiff with my partner feel like such a thing because it took a two-day hiatus. Mm-hmm. And when you were taking that break with him, were you aware of what your thoughts were around the relationship, around yourself? Were there any like messages that stood up in particular to you? Yeah. So the tiff was about him not being as verbal about his feelings. I feel Perfect. like no textbook, like girl wants yeah. lots of feelings, guy, you know, is I feel like this is so gender normative, but guy learning how to express his feelings. Um, and so I was taking a hiatus because I felt really vulnerable. Like I was always telling him how I felt and he wasn't telling me enough how he felt too. Okay. So perfect. I'm glad you said that. So now here's where, here's where I would want to push is like, what meaning do you make of the fact that he doesn't tell you as much as you want to hear it? Yeah. The right. Is like maybe we're not a match. And this is like one of my most common patterns mm-hmm. in a relationship. And, and we all know our Nick has some of this too, which is exiting, like, get me out of here. Like, because we want to feel a sense of relief from. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have a flea feeling like I have to surf over the urge of like wanting to go and start over again. Like grass is greener. Get me out of this. It's too painful. There's got to be better. There's got to be easier. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that belief has served me and created really beautiful things for me but also create a lot of instability and a lot of times where I leave something prematurely or, you know, whatever have you. Great. So like if we were to break down the cycle, like before you've done a lot of work on it, Mm -hmm. what I would see is that there's a feeling of disconnect, Mm -hmm. right? I feel disconnected from my partner. Maybe I feel a little bit insecure because I'm not getting the validation or feedback that I want. Right. And then the thought is this, this doesn't work. I need to get out of here before there's more like emotion involved and then the behavior is fleeing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that's when someone will come to therapy is when they're trying to understand like, why do I exit this much? Or I'm, I'm not like successful in relationships because they never, you know, there's always a fight and the guy doesn't fight for me. And then we break up and I'm never going to date and I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life. So like, that's kind of the, the narrative that they come in with. Right. And so we'll find that cycle and I'll say, okay, right at the moment where you're starting to feel like you're not being validated enough, sit with that first. Sit with that feeling of like, why is it that this partner who maybe just doesn't have the vocabulary to be doing this with me right now? Why do I have to make meaning of it? Mm -hmm that he doesn't care about me? How do I build the bridge from I'm just craving more verbal attention to this is the wrong partner for me? 
What's going on, U-Turner? This episode, I wanted to take a moment to just acknowledge one of my absolute favorite brands in the world making the biggest impact on my day-to-day beauty and its herbal face food. It's the only skincare product that I've become so obsessed with. I use it every day. I didn't even reach out and ask them to sponsor the podcast. I wanted to just stop by and highlight one of my favorite things. I am the first person to admit that I obsess over skincare. If I could make my skin look like I'm seven years old, I probably would. And I want to share with you the one thing that I've been using that has changed my skin, and it's the Cure product from Herbal Face Foods. So if you have acne or hormonal acne or even a melasma, any discoloration on your face, it literally cured my hormonal acne in less than two weeks. It left my skin feeling so soft, so smooth. And since I'm really particular about what I put in my body, I also care about what goes on to my body. So Herbal Face Foods product is made from 57 natural botanicals and their products are antiviral and yes they are so natural that you can literally eat them though I probably don't recommend trying to I loved it so much that I wanted to reach out to them and get a discount code for you so that you can experience them so just head on over to ashleystall.com slash skin that's a-s-h-l-e-y-s-t-a-h-l dot com slash skin and use the code ashley20 at checkout to get a discount on your order i love their serum and i love their cure product i use it every morning every night and it's just been such a game changer making me look younger my face look brighter i hear from so many of you i wanted instead of posting an ad right here to just share and shout out one of my favorite brands and give you this promo code of ashley20 over at herbal face foods Thanks again for tuning in and back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, right? so that's the thing is like, how does somebody, okay, so everyone who's taking notes, what I'm hearing you say, Senem, is first look at an event that disturbed your peace, then look at how you felt in mm-hmm. the event, then look at what was the thought that made you feel that way. And then question the thought. Question the thought. So the thought, well, so here's my question before we question the thought. Yeah. Is, like, how do you know when you need to sit and question the thought Yeah. versus this is not right for me? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, because you don't want to bypass making a decision for yourself and talk yourself out of it. So totally. how do you balance being introspective, looking at yourself, questioning yourself and trusting yourself and actually moving forward with that original thought? I hear you. It's a really good question. So I would still say question it. Because questioning it doesn't mean that you're always challenging it. It just means that you're being curious about the connection that you're making. So you can conclude that this just really doesn't work. There is a genuine incompatibility here. And usually there will be other things where it's like maybe you're not actually that attracted to them. And maybe you realize that you're just anxious because you don't want to have another breakup. But that's not a reason to stay with somebody. Like being honest in that curiosity is really Mm -hmm. important. Okay. Right. And other times what you're doing is realize you're learning about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's really not about keeping you in that relationship or not keeping you in that relationship. It's just learning about what your patterns are. Mm -hmm. So I would just say question it anyway. Yeah. It's not about not trusting yourself. It's just about getting curious about how your thinking and feeling affect each other. 
So how would we root to the core belief, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. so everybody who's doing this with themselves, right? You're picking a situation, you're looking at your feelings, you're looking at the, and then you're looking at the thought that sparked the feelings or questioning the thought. Where in that line is, oh, this is a core belief about who who I see myself as in the world or how I agree. So I think that this requires a little bit of help. I don't know that it's something that you can just do really automatically. Yeah. But for for instance, like when you talk about exiting, so I'm hearing for like you have these exit these exit fantasies, which all of us kind of need to a certain degree. It's okay to have them. But when you're acting on them a lot of times, part of what I'm hearing is like I'm not safe. Like yeah. my feelings are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. So sitting here and tolerating an argument or sitting here and tolerating wanting to ask to get my needs met or being patient with this person and getting my needs met or recognizing that they can love me, but it won't look the way I want. That is so hard to sit with. So we go, okay, my, these feelings are dangerous. I'm going to, I'm going to run away now. Mm -hmm. And I would say, well, why, why are your feelings so dangerous? Mm -hmm. Why? Because some people are going to be the opposite of me, right? So some of you listening, you're not going to flee. You're going to be attracted to the pain, right? So some Mm -hmm. people are going to be like, Ooh, pain. Like, and there's some sort of core belief about how the chase. Yeah. Yeah. That there's a chase or challenges are good for you, or this is a challenge versus this is painful for your soul at a certain point. And so you have challenging relationships. So this is, I mean, really interesting. I like that you pointed out it does take work. I think that being able to get someone as far as we just did is awesome anyway. And um, what do you do once you find a core belief? Like it's hard to change, right? Like how does somebody change? Well, I think that there has to be a desire to do it. And I think a lot of times people, people want that. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about doing the work, I think it can feel very vague. Mm-hmm. And doing the work looks like recognizing that this narrative that you've had probably up until you've challenged it has worked for you. Mm-hmm. So having gratitude for your exit strategies, having gratitude, like also compassion for yourself, I think is a really good starting point. Recognizing that these systems protected you. Mm-hmm. So your anxiety is not for nothing. It's it's there to help you navigate a really scary and chaotic world and to help you create shortcuts so that you're not getting stuck in like, you know, analysis paralysis at every moment. Mm-hmm. You have to know, like, if something's wrong, either I'm going to chase or I'm going to disconnect. And that's just the way that you learn to cope with the, with the world. Where people start to really struggle is when that defense mechanism doesn't actually serve their greater purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, now you're dating someone, you probably really care about him. Mm-hmm. And your anxiety is going, like, if it, if it tries to kick in, there's another part of you going, like, this doesn't actually protect me to behave like that. Mm-hmm. So I have to challenge it. The problem is it's really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I think we're up against a lot in therapy is doing the doing the steps I'm going to outline for you is not easy just because I'm able to simplify it. So having a belief that you're worth doing hard work for, I think is a really good foundation. Mm-hmm. Your work, your worth like the ass clenching through like really difficult conversations. Your worth even the consequences of following through with taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. All of that kind of short-term pain is for your long-term benefit. And we don't often function with that belief. We want the short-term relief. Right. 
So it's having compassion for the pain you're going to have to go through to get to the other side of these narratives. Right. And to have a life you really want, which takes so much effort. It's not just like, oh, this this is painful and I'm going to change. So I love the, I mean, I always say on the show, like happiness isn't for the faint of heart. It's, it takes a lot of work to be happy. I'm a pretty mm-hmm. happy person. I would say like my, I was just telling the boyfriend that I was having my tiff with that we worked it out this past weekend, honestly. I was just telling him like my default setting is probably like 90, 95% of the days of the year I wake up and I'm pretty joyful. Like I'm happy to be mm-hmm. here. Happy to have my coffee, happy to take my dog on a walk, happy to do the podcast. Like, and so I think um another thing I'm curious about when you say core beliefs, like I don't know, it's like your core beliefs probably form your default setting of like what your vibe is in the world. How many core beliefs would you say somebody has? Because I can imagine it's limitless, but the word core implies that there's maybe a few fundamentals. Yeah. And a lot of them, we're not just talking about, I'm focused on negative core beliefs, just to clarify. I think there can be a lot of core beliefs, like I am worthy of joy, right? Or I am like boundless and powerful. Like that can be a core belief. But a lot of times what we struggle with are the core beliefs like I'm unlovable. I'm going to be lonely forever. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm worthless. I'm. I don't know. I'm stupid. I'm incapable. Mm-hmm. So those are usually when we feel in really deep misalignment with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that misalignment is what makes us feel anxious because like there's something wrong. Yeah. So we're wanting to function in the world as someone who's joyful, let's say like you, mm-hmm. and then there's a misalignment where all of a sudden you're not joyful mm-hmm. and you start to feel deep anxiety about it. Yeah. Yeah. And all that work you do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and taking care of your relationship, there's a lot of tension there that can be very, very hard and painful until you get used to it and integrate it more. And mm-hmm. I think that takes time. Mm-hmm. I love what you're sharing. I'm also curious in these moments of disconnect, clearly our body's not regulated yet right. because we're feeling dysregulated. So just from a scientific standpoint, what is going on in our bodies when our peace is so disturbed, we feel so scared or dysregulated? Just curious for your feedback on that. I mean, there are, there are I'm, I'm sure people listening to this who know way more technically what I'm t- going to share right now. So I'm sorry if I'm getting details wrong, but there's there are certain systems at play. And again, from my understanding, they're there very much to help you. It's just they're in overdrive or functioning in ways that we don't need them to be functioning that aggressively. Mm-hmm. So you have your fight or flight instinct, which you mentioned, and that's just a dysregulated nervous system. Your nervous system is recognizing, first of all, from your brain, you have an alarm system called your amygdala. That's in your reptilian brain. So at your most primitive brain, the part of your mind that's trying, your brain that's trying to keep you alive, the fire alarm goes off and goes, there's danger here. And then your whole physiology is going through something without your permission to make sure that it takes you through danger. It's not trying to optimize how you do it. Mm -hmm. Its goal is not to get you to the other side with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Its goal is to get you through to the other side alive. Now that sounds really hyperbolic, but imagine when you're really dysregulated and you feel like there's that much danger, you just need to survive the danger. Hmm. Right? Yes. 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 And so that's where it's really important not to judge yourself if you've done things that you don't want to do anymore that you're ashamed of. 
try to have a little bit of compassion for the fact that your body and your mind were just trying to get you through. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily always trying to get you to the, to the other side in a thriving manner. Mm -hmm. And like you have uh, neurotransmitters again, you're not pushing the buttons going, okay, give me more cortisol. Give me less adrenaline. These are things that are happening without your permission again, to, to take care of you, to make sure Mm -hmm. that you're safe. Mm -hmm. And so when we tap into our more conscious mind and we regulate, we realize that we can actually help regulate ourselves. That's when we go, okay, my heart is pounding out of my chest right now. I need to put aside the fact that I'm arguing to just take a few deep breaths, right? I need to tap a little bit. And I actually, our friend, Nicole, she's really good at this. Yeah. She just, she really helps you embody by, you can just cross your arms where your right hand is like on your left shoulder and vice versa. And you just kind of tap and you just try to get yourself back in your body. That's one way that you can help re-regulate yourself. You can also really recognize, and this is something I do because I think my anxiety can get borderline, like, I don't know, OCD-ish where my Mm -hmm. thoughts make no, like almost make no rational sense anymore. I have to just tell myself, hey, Sanam, you're having really bizarre thinking right now. Mm -hmm. This is a signal that some other thing is going on that you're not taking care of. Don't listen to the bizarre thinking. Don't use it as like an arrow towards something that you have to do. Just recognize if you've gotten here, you need to take a step back and take care of yourself before Mm -hmm. you reintegrate again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we're dysregulated, our thoughts are telling us run away. And then I would say, if you hear your brain, for instance, Ashley telling you to run away, like in a past version of yourself, be like, like, wow, my brain just told me to run away. I must be really dysregulated right now if I'm back in this narrative. Yes. Let me just press a pause button. Don't listen to the anxiety. Use it as a cue for what you need to do to take care of yourself. To I love re-regulate. Yeah. It's like really remembering once you identify a thought that happens when your peace is disturbed, you can kind of associate that thought with like an inner alarm system. Totally. This is disturbed. And I always tell people like, I never trust my mind when my peace is disturbed. So the moment that I notice that I'm like out of whack, out of regulation, I, I'll, the first thing I think is like, don't trust what you're thinking. And I don't trust exactly kind of a counterintuitive thing because a lot of people, there's so many movements around trusting yourself, but it kind of misses this reality of like, no, don't trust yourself. If yourself is gone, like totally. So notice, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're pointing towards this really interesting conversation. I'm hearing more people have about the difference between intuition and anxiety Mm -hmm. because it's such a beauty to being intuitive and, and, and trusting yourself but anxiety can sometimes feel like intuition because of how quickly it comes on, mm-hmm. because of how clear it can feel. Mm-hmm. But a big, a big difference to me is that when you have anxiety about something, usually it doesn't feel very good. Yeah. And, you know, it's not coming from your mind. It's kind of coming from like some other part of your body. And it's it's a fear response. Mm-hmm. Versus when it's intuitive, like let's say you're in a relationship that's not working and you're, you just know in your heart that you need to break up with that person. It might make you sad. You might feel really devastated, but there's a clarity that comes with it. And I think that clarity is what's missing with anxiety. Mm, You know, 
And this is really nuanced. So I don't want anyone to think like that this is the explanation end all be all. Like we all have to do our own work to recognize what our anxiety is versus what our intuition is. But I think that's a really good place to put your energy is starting to learn when I'm intuitive, where did that come from? Because we all have moments that we can look back on and then compare it to a time when like you just weren't doing well and you were anxious. Mm -hmm. There's a qualitative difference in how those things feel. Yes. I love that so much. What a great piece of advice. Okay. So we talked about like just being dysregulated, what's going on in the body and and the CBD process or CBD, CBT process <laughs> of like kind of getting to the root of your core beliefs, your narrative and how that's impacting you. Um, what are some ways or, or quick exercises or like little wins you have for someone who's like dysregulated as hell, you know, like something happens and they just feel like they're off their rocker, like I've felt. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just need to get back to some sort of homeostasis. What would be just any recommendation that you'd have? So a good mnemonic is actually the word, the word stop. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've heard of this. No. The, the word stop itself has a built-in just like pause button. Uh-huh. So S stands for stop, meaning just like stop right yeah. if, if it means like you're talking or you're saying something just close your mouth <laughs> yeah you know like if you're driving and your mind is having a million rampant thoughts just tell yourself like stop yep. and I do a lot of this externally so I believe in talking to yourself out loud mm -hmm. where it feels safe to do that so you just literally will be like Sanam stop mm -hmm. you know that's the s mm -hmm. then the t is take a deep breath mm. Right. And just see, are you having shallow breathing? Are you breathing very quickly? Are you even, are you holding your breath and just like reground by taking a breath? The O is observe. And that just means taking, you know, um, focus, like taking, I don't, I'm the words like, leaving my brain right now. I'm also eight months pregnant, by the way. So I'm sorry. If <laughs> I actually deleted. can't. I'm so yeah. impressed. Like eight <laughs> months pregnant and you're just like jamming on the YouTube. Concepts are oh. leaving my mind. But so you kind of just take stock. I think that's what I was trying to say. You take stock of what's going on for you. So that's the process of being like, Sanam, you're starting to imagine. Like for me, I'll give a, a, an example. When I drive, I can start to imagine really terrible car accidents happening to me. Mm. If I'm really, really anxious, which mm -hmm. like, that's not how I usually am. So if, if I start doing that, I'll observe and I'll be like, you're having really bad visualizations right now. Mm -hmm. Like what happened today that might have gotten you to feel this overstimulated? Mm -hmm. And I might not have an answer, but at least I'm trying to be curious. Mm -hmm. And then the P is for proceed mm -hmm. because we all have lives and we all need to get on with it. Mm -hmm. And so you're allowed to proceed and not feel better, but at least give yourself a moment to try and re-regulate. Yeah. Now, where my clients, I think they, they've heard me say this a lot, is I'm very repetitive mm -hmm. because anxiety is very repetitive. Yes. And, That's right? so insightful. Tell us more about anxiety on top of that. But I, I know I just interrupted you. So keep on going. No, I also want to no, ask no. just like, how does anxiety look? What is the nature of it? If you could bring anxiety onto this podcast, like our little frenemy, what yeah. does it hear it look like? What is going on with it? So that maybe people listening, they don't even realize it. Because one breakthrough I had ages ago about anxiety is that like when, uh, so for example, um, 
I used to need plans way in advance. Like if I was going on a trip, like, okay, well, I'm trying to make the reservation. And is this person coming or not? Because I need to make the reservation. Right. So like, you know, you know how that is. So it's yeah, like, for sure. Um, taking a look at why, why is this so tightly wound for me and realizing that my anxiety of having to get something done was manifesting as trying to be controlling. Mm-hmm. So I think like anxiety can look like um, someone being very controlling. So I think it's very interesting to kind of notice those things. So what else can anxiety kind of sneakily look like? Well, control is a big part of it. So it's whatever makes you feel like, let's say you think if you think about every single, uh, I'll give you a really like a basic example, like the earthquake, right? Like the big one, that's a, it's an anxiety outside of maybe something more emotional, Mm -hmm. but it it paints the picture. So if you are laying in bed and you're going over and over and over in your head, all the different ways that you would do something in an earthquake. When I feel the first rumble, I'm going to run under this desk and I'm going to have this in my car and I'm going to, and then I'm going to wake this person up and I'm going to make sure I grab my phone. Right. And then you're like, okay, but then if the, if the earthquake is happening too fast, I'm going to do this instead. And you just kind of ruminate, which means you get stuck in a loop about a certain thought, right? What it's ultimately trying to do, and this is the functional side of anxiety is it's trying to make you feel like, again, you have some control in a very chaotic world. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, all it means is that you feel the the chaos of the world around you and you're trying to enact some sense of agency over it by going, if there's a giant earthquake, I'm going to live because these are all the different ways I'm going to manage it. Mm-hmm. Or what, like, how am I going to survive if everyone I love dies in the earthquake, Right. Mm-hmm. You're trying to emotionally and mentally prepare yourself for like grieving everybody that you know. It seems silly when I say it out loud, but imagine if you're trying to get your mind around something that's scary, it's a way of trying to get control over it, right? Right, right, right. So, so how do you know when you're just like a prepared person versus an anxious person? You said anxiety is repetitive. I know also anxiety has bad memory, right? Like it doesn't remember what happened because it was. So into, I don't know, just a little bit more about that. Well, so if it's anxious, usually it's causing, it's, it's intrusive to your well being. So I think like diagnostically to diagnose someone with anxiety, it has to be intrusive. You don't feel really empowered by it necessarily. Mm -hmm. There's a component where you feel overwhelmed and kind of swallowed whole by it. You're not remembering, like you're saying past incidences where the data points to you being resilient. Mm -hmm. Or the data points to the fact that you couldn't control a bad outcome, but that it was ultimately okay. Mm -hmm. Or accepting the fact that like terrible things do happen and we like we suffer. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, unfortunately, that's not something that we can avoid is is intense pain. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know exactly like how you've heard the bad memory piece, but the way that I understand it is it forgets that we're capable Mm. Or it forgets that maybe we've gone through breakups and we've survived them, but this is going to be the breakup that kills me. You know what right. I mean? Right. Um, so just in that way, it it is so repetitive and that becomes a neural pathway that's just really strong at firing. Mm-hmm. Because usually if you're anxious about something, it's manifesting, you know, those automatic negative thoughts I talked about earlier. Yeah. 
You're the having ants. yeah, the ants. Exactly. I always think about ants like, on the ant. tree. Yeah, ants on, on the tree. You you got it exactly. Like girl, I think in content all day long. When you were yeah. talking about it, I was like the ants. Okay, it's the ants. And actually, it's funny because technically it's negative automatic thoughts, but I turned it into automatic negative thoughts because I yeah. view them as little ants. I mean, it's either gnats or ants. I guess there it's you go <laughs> on the tree, girl. <laughs> and it just like tickles your brain in this really uncomfortable way. So if you think about that, you're having this happen tens, if not hundreds of times a day. So those neural pathways are really strong and they fire quickly and without question. So when you're trying to work on undoing that neural pathway, you can't just one time regulate yourself and then come back and be like, Dr. S, I tried to reframe a situation as not so dangerous, but like I didn't feel better. It's like, of course you didn't. Like great, great that you remember to try that. But Now go and do that 10 times a day. Mm -hmm. Go and challenge the thought every single time you have it. It's hard freaking work. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're combating something that's really tough, right? So when I say do the stop mnemonic, I'm not saying do it once and you're going to feel better. You might need to do it three or four times before your nervous system starts to calm down. And you can be like, but Sanam, I have a meeting or I have to like write this paper or I have to, you know, like I have a deadline and I would tell you, great. Think of how much time you're wasting being anxious during that time. Like, how are you act? like, are you actually being productive towards those goals when you have this like recording in your head that's causing you pain and distress? It's, it's worth the two or three minutes of hitting the pause button to try and regulate. Yeah. To optimize the time that you actually have to work towards your goals. Yes. I love that. Okay. Um, another question that I really wanted to ask you is kind of going back to this idea of breaking up. And I want to reference this, not just like breaking up with your partner or with a friend, but maybe it's like breaking up with your job. Like it's mm-hmm. just like, how do we fight more cleanly, more effectively, more productively um, on this note of regulation as a whole? How do we fight more cleanly? Meaning, how do we like advocate for ourselves in ways that don't sabotage like deeply what we're wanting in that moment? Yeah, like just how to be more effective when we're having these disconnects. So part of it, I think, is taking the time to be really clear about what you're feeling disconnected from. Mm-hmm. So if you recognize, do you want to give me an example and I can w- kind of walk us through it? Like, is there? Some yeah. Something? Like, I don't know if this is something I've done, but like some people, for example, when they fight, they know that they have a pattern of like really saying something shitty that hurts the relationship permanently, even if they can make up after, you know, oh, like okay, people who are okay. married say like, remember what you say in a fight. Cause you can't take it back even right. if they will forgive you. Um, so yeah, like when it comes to um, fighting without ruining something, what are okay. some thoughts, tools, approaches that you would suggest for everyone? Oof. Okay. This is a biggie. Yeah. So I, I, I want to be thoughtful about how I respond to this. So first of all, again, let me say like, I feel for you <laughs> if you're someone who shuts down or becomes really reactive because that pain is 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 a real pain. It's a real feeling that you're having. But I want to point back to what I said earlier. It's not an instruction for how to behave. 
So when you get really clear about that, that just because you're feeling something, it doesn't mean that it's pointing to a behavior that's in your best interest. I think that that can be a starting point. So I'm kind of the lash outer when it comes to fighting. Mm-hmm. And I that just because what I want to say feels fair to me, it doesn't mean that it deserves space in the argument. Because data has shown that it just hurts someone's feelings and that's not who I want to be. So I've ta- first of all, I would say just take accountability for what your pattern looks like. Mm. It's saying that how you feel or what you're thinking is invalid. It just means that you have to be accountable for how you show up in those patterns. And you are 100% responsible for how you behave. Mm. You know, even if it's merited, like even if your partner's like, a, I don't want to go to like these extremes, but if your partner's abusive, I'm not saying you have to sit there and be like kind and compassionate to them because that's who you want to be. I'm just saying be clear about who you who you're trying to be in that relationship, almost like a thesis statement to come back to in the fight, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna lash out anymore, which means when I feel like lashing out, what I'm gonna tell my partner is, hey babe, I actually don't feel like I can fight clean right now. I need a minute. Mm -hmm. Right. And so instead of doing content processing, which is saying like, but you just did this and that didn't feel good and that's not fair. And like, I just go to the process, which is I want to have this conversation with you, but I can't do it right now. I don't feel good. Can I have like two minutes? Because that's me taking accountability for what's coming up for me. Mm -hmm. And then I can get I can get a little bit of clarity and show up again and say what I need to. If you're someone who has the opposite reaction, you can actually because you want to be accountable, practicing something like, hey, I'm completely shutting down right now. I I need to step out for five minutes or 20 minutes, give a number of time that you need to leave. And then during that time, try to regulate yourself and then think about when you show up again, what does that version of you that you're working towards becoming sound like? Mm-hmm. What does she articulate? How is she in connection with the other person? And you're allowed to take that time. You don't have to be so, yeah. No, that's where I'm so curious because I think some people, especially a lot of relationships, there's one person that goes in and there's one person that goes towards, right? Mm -hmm. Like towards the other person versus running out and needing a break or needing a thought. Are there any rules you would say, for lack of a better term, around asking for time or space? Like, you know, for me with my partner, like asking for two days felt like a lot of time I needed to ask for. And I hope that he doesn't need two days for me because as a person who does have anxiety, it's like very playground. Yeah. Yeah. So what is what, what's the, the limits or what would you say is reasonable as it relates to that? So for first off, defining the amount of time is really important. And I believe in doing a lot of this stuff before you're in a fight. So clarifying ahead of time, like let's say you've already had the fight and something worked or didn't work, mm-hmm. do the, do the, you know, post fight analysis and be like, you know, two days was a lot. And next time I would really appreciate it if we only took a day, you mm-hmm. know, or we did a check-in and if you needed more time, you could let me know at the check-in. So mm-hmm. it's not about like, if you're going to fight, it's about how you fight. Mm-hmm. And if you take a bad fight and learn from it, that's awesome news. Mm-hmm right? It's, it's great to learn from. So there's no hard and fast rule. It's really about what your relationship needs from the two of you. So being thoughtful about defining that 
ahead of time or or after something. So just you're you're better prepared for the next fight because there will be a next fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, this has been so great. Um, final question. We talk about how, and we kind of touched on this, like greatness comes with consequences, losses. Can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by that as we go? Absolutely. So a lot of times what we're talking about in therapy are boundaries. This has become, and I'm so grateful for it, a very hot topic uh, is boundary setting. And it sounds like we're just saying, go set a boundary. And it's like, what the hell does setting a boundary mean? Right. And sometimes that can look like you're setting it without letting the other person know. Like, this is just something that you're going to start allowing or not allowing. It, it, it could be for you. It's usually for your best, your betterment. Like you're setting a boundary because you know, it's healthier for you. Or let's say that you're breaking up with somebody because you just know their relationship doesn't work. And so you're following through with, with the breakup or you're leaving a job that has given you stability. So you're feeling like, why would I walk away from something that pays the bills or something like that? You know, just whatever kind of situation where there's a line that you're, that you're setting and it's supposed to be for your greater good. It's supposed to advance you in your career, get you out of a bad relationship whatever. When I say the word consequence, I want to bring that into this conversation because just because you're doing something good for yourself oftentimes does not mean that it feels good, especially off the bat. It can actually make you feel worse in the beginning because now you're firmly in the unknown. You might feel some relief, but you might feel regret. So yeah, just because you're doing something that is supposed to be for your greater good it's not going to feel that way off the bat. And I like to tell my clients that so that they don't take their, you know, the the fall on the roller coaster, like that gut feeling of fear or, or chaos or whatever, as a sign that they did the wrong thing. Oftentimes doing what's right for you can feel really, really scary. And so just tell yourself, I'm scared or I'm really sad. I'm devastated. I'm grieving a breakup. That it's natural that that's not going to feel good, but I don't have to confuse that with, I did the wrong thing. It's just a natural consequence. So when you stop wanting to escape bad feelings and recognize as a living person, you have access to a spectrum of incredible emotionality, both good and bad. You don't have to make so much meaning of the bad that it's dangerous. It's just something that you're allowed to feel. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to feel grief. But that doesn't mean that what you did is wrong. Mm. It just means that you need time to figure out how to integrate like this new set of circumstances that you're in. Yeah. Reminds me of people who miss people that they let go of in their life. It's like they mean that they made the wrong choice when sometimes it really doesn't mean that at all. No, it just means that you miss the person. It probably means that like it's not that black and white and not everything was horrible. Yeah. There was real love, real friendship, but there was just something you couldn't accept anymore. Yeah. So exactly. the consequences, you don't get that friendship, but it's okay. You know, mm, this has been so great. I loved having you. It's so fun to talk to someone in my world that like just means so much. Everyone here oh. listens to me talk about Nick until I'm blue in the face. Um, is there something I haven't asked you about your practice, about therapy, that you just think would be really good for people to know, maybe not, um, but just curious if something comes up. 
No, not really. I just I want to really lead and and have people take away from this that you're you're allowed to feel your feelings and also have compassion for them even when they're painful. And that can be so hard, but I encourage that practice that when you're having an anxious thought or you don't feel good, oftentimes we want to shame ourselves for it. And I would just say challenge challenge yourself to feel compassion and tell yourself, I'm sorry that you don't feel good right now. I'm sorry that you're suffering. I'm sorry that this hurts you. Instead of being like, what's wrong with you? The way we talk to ourselves really, really matters. And it's worth learning what our broken narratives are and taking the time to rewrite them in ways that they don't have to be the most positive things, but they're allowed to not make you feel so terrible about yourself. They can even be neutral. Mm-hmm. I hope everyone just can give themselves compassion if they're if they're dealing with any of what we talked about today. Mm, this has been so great. Thank you again for coming on and thank you for having me. everybody. Yeah, thank you. And where can everybody find you if they want to work with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have a practice in Santa Monica, um, but we also do virtual therapy and you can find us at thislifetherapy.com. Cool. Woohoo. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.